Hello and welcome to another episode of The Abundant Edge, the podcast all about the worlds of natural building, permaculture, and regenerative living. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. I've got another fantastic guest to interview today and a lot of information to cover, so let's jump right on in. In this interview, I had the pleasure of speaking with Janelle Kapoor, the founder of both Clayworks International and the Ash Village Institute and Sanctuary. Janelle has been teaching natural building workshops since 1997 all over the world and founded Clayworks International in 2004. She also ran some of the first earthen building trainings in Thailand, Argentina, and Turkey. Since 2006, she has been renovating and building the site of the Ash Village Institute by reclaiming materials from the waste stream and using natural materials from the site. Since then, Ash Village has become a model ecological and environmental learning center and demonstration site that offers a wide range of regenerative living skills, courses, and workshops. In this interview, Janelle talks about the mission and intent behind Ash Village, how she found ways to design systems that bring humans and nature together, her incredible work empowering and working with women, and much more. Janelle has been one of my biggest inspirations since I got started in the natural living world, and her experience and insights do not disappoint, so I'll let her take it from here. Be sure to stay tuned at the end of this episode, I'll give some exclusive information on new workshops coming up. And now, here's Janelle Kapoor. Hello and thank you so much for taking the time today, Janelle. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I have a ton of questions that I'd love to ask, so let's jump right on in. First of all, how did you first get started in natural building, permaculture, and community organizing? After high school, I knew that what I wanted to be part of in the world was not something I would find in a college environment. So I ended up traveling and participating in internships, hands-on, and uh, really wanting to engage directly and learn directly. And so I... I ended up in Tennessee, where Yanto Evans of Cobb Cottage Company led his first um, earthen or his first Cobb workshop on the eastern part of the country. And at the time, Janine Bjornson was his apprentice, and it was her first teaching gig they co-taught. And uh, I was living on the site where the building was going to be happening, and so I was part of the design team and host team. And there were a few things that really stood out to me. So this, this was the first time I engaged with earthen buildings. And it was just clear from the very get-go, literally the even before I got in the mud, but I, I was always fascinated by architecture. And uh, But the moment I got into the mud, it was just, I mean, it was meant to be. I, I knew it, it was, I was still pretty, I think it was 22 at the time, I wanted to become a master of something. There was this craving in me to find my path, um, having already traveled and dabbled in a lot of things and having a lot of passion, but really wanting to take on something I could that would become my craft. And so when I got in the mud and I was there, I was dreaming every night that I was like different, different mud formations, mud bridges, mud buildings, and my body was the mud. Um, I had past life recalls, and Yanto, <laughs> we're both uh, big personalities. At that workshop, he almost kicked me out, and we laugh about it now, but at one point, I think I just annoyed him enough. He was like, go go in the woods and find some mud. He just wanted to get it. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so off I went, and I found this incredible blue mud in the like orange banks in the Tennessee Creek and it's pretty rare like it was a deposit but somehow I just knew to go there anyway all to say that I think for me the mud and building with mud is something that I've known I mean I've, I've probably done it for a lifetime um, and just recently I I was working on a project and I don't I actually am not doing so much earth and building anymore but um and it is just everything in me knows exactly what to do. I feel it. It's like this very deep, intuitive understanding of how to work with earthen materials. And, uh, yeah, I think that's one of my favorite parts of building with mud is 
uh, is that intuitive sensibility and that it ignites something in me that is the, the visionary uh, that wants to keep stretching the envelope and seeing what I can do with uh, new things that I can do with the mud that I haven't done before, you know, trying out and experimenting. So I can definitely relate to that feeling. Yeah, you know, I mean, people, I mean, I think it's something that so many of us have a a deep, profound connection to, and it it seems to open up uh, channels of connection for people to uh, a deeper connection with the earth and with ourselves, you know, and that was one of the one of the things that I appreciated so much about using natural building as a community organizing tool. And um, yeah, as far as the PDC, the permaculture piece, back in 97, that same internship in Tennessee, I participated in a course with uh, a number of teachers from the Southeast. And um, and that's where I got turned on to permaculture. And I recognized that my heart song, my passion at the time, and my specialty, what was coming to me as my very clear, uh, strong skill set was was in natural building, and that became my core focus. Uh, That, and I would also say I'm very much a foodie, and food is medicine and fermentation, and um, that's also another arena. But anyway, permaculture is sort of the big umbrella, and uh, and since then, I, I organized many, many programs around permaculture, um, but that was, um, that's where I got started in all of it. And actually before that, I was living at another community up in Wisconsin, and we had dabbled in all of those things. So my my ears were wet to knowing about it, but it was really back in 97 that I got to dive in more deeply. And it's something I recommend for folks who want to learn is if it's if you're at an age or a time in your life where you can explore and go beyond just a long workshop, um, it's really valuable to have the time to delve in more deeply and be honest like, for a longer period of time and get to go through the stages of different parts of a building process. Um, and certainly if all you can do is a week or a weekend, it's also really helpful to just get get a taste. Yeah. Sure. I really agree with that. Yeah. And I've done, um, you know, different workshops and, and volunteer opportunities all around the world. And it really helps to get what you learn from the class to sink in and make practical sense. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Now I know you've shifted gears in the last couple of years, but you used to be the founding director of Clayworks International. And through them, you led tons of natural uh, building projects and workshops all around the world. What are the most important aspects of natural building that you focused on in your training? And how has it affected the communities that you've worked with? Oh, I love your question. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, it's true. Yeah, I was <laughs> engaged for a long time in the natural building world and still a dear to my heart. And uh, actually, last year, we had a gathering in New Mexico of a lot of the veteran, long-time uh, early folks from the natural building world and gathered. And there were, I think, about 150 of us for a week. And it was really this beautiful family reunion experience. And um, it's so wonderful to be with all the old-timers. And uh, anyway, yeah, my favorite aspect that you asked about um, what was most significant and favorite aspects to teaching internationally and what felt important in the communities I was working with. That, that's what you were asking? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gosh, there's lots of ways to to talk about that. What, what When I felt that I had accomplished what I was setting out to do is when the people I was working with in the training went on to build their own projects or follow their personal vision and dreams for how they wanted to be living in uh, sustainable ways and where their 
um, confidence and their um, self-empowerment process uh, really took hold and they were activated such that they went for it. And, you know, oftentimes really shifting gears in their personal lives from perhaps an office job or being an architect in the middle of the city of Bangkok to becoming a pioneering um, earth and building organizer in Thailand is one example, or uh, my dear friends in Argentina, Diego and Natalia, uh, they, they had worked, I think it was something like 17 years in an office building. And it was the first time they'd taken off for two weeks and they came down to Patagonia. This is back in 2000. Was it 2004, I think. And they came and I guess I learned later it was their first time off. It's, you know, I mean, years and years. It was just like floored. And they, they put their jobs and then they got land and they started an educational center. And so for me, that was, that was the story was, uh, and the intention was to design myself out of the system as, quickly as possible that the goal was to share the skills in such a way that people could take it and run with it and become the part of the leadership team in their countries for um, teaching and sharing with others. So that, that was the thing that moved me the most. Um, And I think another thing for me that touches me when I think of people who are engaging in natural building, especially for the first time, and in the ways that we ran our training, which certainly were technical, and we were very, very focused on the project. I can hear your, your dog there. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, there was also an emphasis on the community aspect and the engagement of spirit and our spirit and our connection with the natural world. And especially with recognizing that we are part of nature that we as humans, as earthlings, are not separate. And we have this whole illusion of separation. And what was so powerful in the in the work that I was doing was witnessing this connecting of dots uh, and the opening or reconnection of the soul, uh, reconnection of people's hearts and their path and their journey in this lifetime to to being part of a much larger uh, cycle of and connection and web of life um, and that I think that was that was and is for me the most important aspect of natural building is that it's a gateway into how we can reconnect and redesign our lives to be part of part of yeah, it's part of nature, part of the natural order of things. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that really is, um, for me, it's most important. I could, frankly, care less about putting more buildings on the planet, um, but to build with Earth in a way that incorporates the ancient and the future um, through the engagement of our, our, our free will as humans and how we choose to be part of the healing of the planet right now. Um, and natural building really is beautiful, beautiful, reconnective tool. So that was a big part of the work for me. Um, and I, watching that land for people, watching that really take hold in the lives of those who were participating, um, was profound. And I'll I'll just add that it happened on a very internal, personal level for people. And then it also happened because we were living together and working together and learning together and being in our body. And so many people, I believe, really miss the opportunity to feel like that they are part of a village, part of a larger organism, and that they're valued and that they're part of a team. Um, and that they can see something manifest through the hands of, you know, of coming together in community the ways that we did. And then we would 
cook together and eat together and celebrate and sing. And, you know, I mean, it was just a, a beautiful time. So, um, those are, those are the things that stand out. And then on, along with that, um, is realizing that it is possible for us to live in a way that has, um, so much more coherence and sensibility on this planet and that we do have options that work um, and that they're very eloquent and it's it's living poetry if we so choose to be part of that um, as opposed to the consumer culture that we're often find ourselves drowning within um, that, that there's these very tangible, practical, grounded ways that we can show up and um, create the world that is uh, that we know is very possible. But that was just the practicality um, is meaningful. Uh, and it took all the, the part of me that's visionary and big picture uh, um, and really grounded in it's very um, has an important uh, importance. Um, I feel there's one other one other piece that I'd like to name, and I'm trying to how to put this. Um, yeah, I guess I guess it's sort of a stems from what I just said, but seeing how activated people got and the networks that grew out of the work that that I was doing um, and that I was doing with others, you know, I mean, it, wherever I was, there were many collaborators and watching how one project could literally turn into a hundred projects, which then turned into a thousand and then reached hundreds of thousands of people in Southeast Asia and South America and sort of kind of seeing it as a sort of, uh, you know, family tree of sorts where people web of connections and networks and lineages of people learning and just how it, it grew. It was very simple, simple technology um, in the hands of people who might not otherwise have the means to build their own houses or, you know, all the ways that it landed in people's lives, getting to watch how that grew, um, particularly in South America and Southeast Asia, Thailand and Argentina. Um, I was invited to work in those regions and in those countries at times for both of them where the economy was tanking and people were, I mean, both of them are their own scenarios, but um, in each case, it really, really hit the ground running. Uh, I mean, literally overnight we were watching, uh, especially through the media connections, the activist network that we were working with, what I got to see was just the spread of it happening so quickly and how it really became this solution for people that in some cases they've saved entire families and villages from being sold into sort of indentured slavery or factory work or prostitution. And um, I mean, that, you know, has profound impact. So I could, I could probably go on and on just with this one question, but let's let's, let's keep going. No, sure, sure, fair enough. I I really like the way you put um, those connections being like a family tree. It's one of the things that's inspired me a lot as well, um, especially with natural building and, and permaculture. A lot of uh, people can can trace back to you know their teachers and the other people that they've influenced and collaborators, and uh, it's something that I draw a lot of inspiration from as well. Mm, yeah, it's something I know that. I wouldn't say it's unique only to the natural building and permaculture world, but it certainly is an aspect of how we operate in those worlds is um, the more we can share with each other, the more we can inspire and, you know, share the, the uh, secrets of the trade, and, you know, the, the more exciting it is for all of us. And it's, it's so non-proprietary. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. No, I agree with that. You know, just that alone that's, yeah, it's really very cooperative. 
So here, let's take another uh, little leap forward here. So I know you're most involved now with the Ash Village Institute or Ash Village Sanctuary in Asheville, North Carolina. Tell me a little bit about the school and yep. how it all got started. Yeah, sure. Um, and you know, I wanted I, I wanted to when I mentioned mentioned Janine Bjornson, I just wanted to give a shout out to her and to all the women doing natural building. Um, I know for me at a young age, having never built anything. Um, having a woman present who was in a leadership position, um, I, you know, in a subtle way and in a, also in a not so subtle way was something that I needed to see or having her there helped me to see that, sure, I can do this as well. And it gave me confidence. And I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, and I'll probably circle back around to that in a little while. But, um, but yeah, that was, I wanted to make note of that. Of course. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and my dear Yanto Evans, I love him dearly. We, we really, we became very close friends. I know that he had a lot of appreciation for the direction I went in. And um, we became, you know, quite close. <laughs> but we still joke about that that time me being such a, a young rascal who kicked me out of the workshop. <laughs> he couldn't quick kick me out though. I was like, you're not kicking me out. I'm saying, dude, this is way too good. <laughs> but I can uh, see how that could so go funny. with two very tenacious personalities working together. Oh yeah, totally. Totally true. As well. Yeah, he's quite a character. Oh, he's quite a character. And yeah, he uh he also, I mean, you know, he's he's got, um, you know, he's he's Yonto, and I he's one of my one of the people who's inspired me most, and I I so appreciate the unique perspective he brings and how much he has maintained this very pure relationship with the natural world, and you know, of of the humans I know, Yonto Evans is truly one of the you know, the remarkable human beings who, um, and I mean this in the absolute most honorable ways, uh, you know, he, he lives as if he is one of the animals in the ecosystem of, of the planet. And um, I just, I'm, I still, when I think of him, I swoon, I swoon, Yanto, if you ever hear this, I just adore my dear Yanto, so... Anyway, moving on uh, to Ash Village Sanctuary. Um, yeah, and we used to call it the Institute, Ash Village Institute, um, but the land itself, which is um, owned by myself, uh, it, it, we, we started to sort of separate the programming that I was running uh, from the land itself. And so now that's actually very much become my focus is the sanctuary which is um, four acre, uh, sorry, four properties in Asheville, and they're all connected. They're in a little neighborhood right off of downtown, and uh, so it's it's just literally a stone throw from downtown, a walking distance, and then we also back 60 acres of woods, and we have uh, 1.3 acres, and um, it's becoming really beautiful hub. I mean, so I'm 10 years in. Um, I got this property in 06, I believe, yeah, um, coming back from Argentina and uh, and subsequently other properties in that neighborhood came for sale and they're all connected. And so the last one, the fourth one, was um, uh, we got that a year and a half ago. And so the project is 10 years in, and it's been a very organic uh, process regarding taking the programming I was doing internationally, which was certainly natural building, as well as permaculture. And then we would always teach food as medicine, and fermentation. And, you know, in our training, we would just naturally arrive and start fermenting food. So by the end of the training, we were eating uh, our, our krauts and our, drinking our mead and our wine that we made. Um, so we brought all of those programs, I brought all those programs to Ash Village and 
frankly, over the years, I just, you know, as I grew older, I realized that I was in this pattern of taking on too much and of overwhelm. And I'm, I'm sure you and many others in the modern age can relate. Um, and so after many years of hosting programming there at Ashwich Sanctuary, it became just clear that I needed to kind of clear clear the plate of it. And um, so I'll just say briefly that there's something now called Permaculture School, and it's the permacultureschool.org. Um, and we also have an Instagram, new Instagram account. I'm kind of obsessed with Instagram now. But uh, anyway, um, Instagram Permaculture School. And all of our programming that I used to run is now being developed to go online. And um, we're going to have, over the coming years, multiple permaculture-related programming. And so I'm sure natural building will be part of that, food medicine, and all the other aspects that make up the whole sort of permaculture, um, you know, everything within that. Uh, that's a lot. So sure, yeah, that's, that's going to be a really well-rounded project. program, it sounds like. Yeah, well, it'll be many programs we're going to have. Uh, we're working with an online platform partner uh, that provides college credit. And so it's exciting. And we haven't... That really is, yeah made any big announcements about that yet but um, in the coming year we'll be launching some of those programs and um, so anyway that's happening um, but meanwhile at Ashley Sanctuary there's been a big shift that we've shifted our programming from posting there um, to now moving it online and um, and there's also been a big shift in the working with the land at the sanctuary and we've We've done some natural building there. Uh, all the, the existing houses were retrofitted, renovated with all natural interior finishes, and then we also did exterior plaster. So it's all got clay and mud all over it, um, and it's quite quite beautiful. Yeah, I saw the pictures on from that. Creating a beautiful great. space. Yeah, very much so. And the intention from the get-go is to create an urban-based, eco-urban living learning laboratory that models what we can do in our own backyard in an urban setting, recognizing that so many people are living in urban spaces and, you know, how can we actually transfer what we're doing and all these concepts of creating regenerative living solutions, how can that actually apply uh, in urban environments? And so this property when I first got it, actually um, was very junked out, a bit of a junkyard, and one of the houses was a, a crack house, like literally a crack house. Um, it was, you could barely breathe inside. It was quite, quite gross. Um, and so over the last 10 years, there's been this incredible process of working with the land and finding the site and really listening to and attuning with and building relationships with the land and asking the land itself what what it wants to be in service to and how it wants to um, how it wants to be uh, engaged and so it's been a fascinating journey and uh, one that for a, a long time I was still in that pattern of overwhelm and I can't say I'm 100% out of it but there's been a, a big shift and. Um, and now we're, I mean, I can go on a little bit. I'll just, I'll share a little bit more around this because it's, it's very much my new focus. Please, by all means. Yeah, great. Um, well, it came to a point where I, I was missing my international work and I felt as if I was really pushing uphill and going into the grain of my own nature and uh, just pretty stressful to have this particular project and it, it wasn't my joy, you know, and I was used to living very much attuned to, to my, you know, my joy. So it got to a place where I almost was ready to let it go. And I walked up on the land that borders on the mountain and I used to go walking and I would ask for guidance. And I got this very clear guidance not to sell the place and that it was going to be uh, very needed and a great gift and, and important service. And 
and then very soon after that, I had this um, uh, sort of this experience of this sort of angelic presence that came through and this message of the sanctuary being in service to the divine feminine and that it was a temple to the divine feminine. And so, you know, when something like that comes through as clearly as it did, I, I was, I was like, okay, well, that's what's happening. All right. And at the time, it didn't. It it wasn't obvious to me how and what and when and you know. Um, and I knew well enough that I didn't need to have all the details. I didn't need to know exactly what it meant or how it was going to work. But um, over the years, it has become clearer and clearer as to what that means, and that that has uh, been a really beautiful process for me personally and then also in the community that I'm in and and for what I'm excited to be working with and working on in my life at, at this point. And it, you know, I'm, I'm always a mud mama at heart and, um, and now I'm working very much with women and, uh, and then there's a lot a lot more that I could say about all of that. But that's that's currently the primary work at the sanctuary is being a sanctuary to help anchor the divine feminine on the planet and in the hearts of our dear humanity. And so, um, yeah. That's really beautiful. Um, I, that's such an incredible transformation that you've overseen in the last, uh, you were saying, 10 years too, uh, the way that the, the property has transformed as well. Now, I also read in a previous interview that you did that one of your major focuses has been finding ways to design systems that bring humans and nature together, especially in cities. Could you share some of the main ways that you found to facilitate this? Yeah, how uh, bringing, say it again, sorry, don't mind. Ways to design systems and to bring humans and nature together, especially in cities. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, the sanctuary—that's exactly what um, what the intention was and is, in part. And you know, in talking about working with the divine feminine, it's also about working with the deeper patterns of nature, which are, um, you know, we can get very caught up in the the techniques and the technical end and the systems design, and the hardscaping and the sort of outer landscape. Hey, puppy. Hi. <laughs> There's so many dogs here. There are nine What's dogs your... on the property where I'm working right now. Oh, <laughs> uh, wait, so, wait, where are you, by the way? I'm in Guatemala at the moment. I'm working with a fantastic yeah, bamboo specialist uh, named Charlie Rendell. And I'm working to help him on his projects. And I also have uh, side contracts at the same time. But <laughs> yeah, this is about as quiet as it yep. ever gets. So the fact that they've been this quiet is quite uh, a blessing. But uh don't worry, I have very easy ways of uh, editing out the background noise, so don't mind them. Yeah, yeah, cool. That's great. No, it's fun to know you're down in Guatemala right now. Um, yeah, so, I mean, oh gosh, I mean, that, this is like another whole um, whole thing we, yeah. Uh, in, in, well, okay, just kind of going back and echoing what I was saying before is that, um, I, I probably you've heard of City Repair, and for those listening, if you've not heard of City Repair, it's a beautiful project that uh, started in Portland, Oregon, and um, I was close with some of the original the City Repair folks, and one of the well, sort of asked one of the aspects of it is recognizing, you know, we can talk about all of these solutions, but then how do we actually bring them into our cities. And um, so I cite City Repair because I worked closely with them in Portland in the early days back in the early 2000s and then hosted in Nashville um, some similar types of gatherings where we got communities from all over our city and different projects and organizations and businesses to come up with the the things that they wanted to be doing and, and really brought the public together, city together sort of from the nonprofit, for-profit, schools, families, kids, um, 
to work together to create the real projects on the ground and, and have this uh, beautiful sort of like village celebration and um, participate in the creation of our own public spaces. And uh, so, that you know, that's still going on and, and I'm by no means the only person in Asheville or, you know, other places. I think there's a lot of people engaged with everything from urban farming to, you know, rooftop farming to school gardens to bringing natural buildings into all of these places. Um, and it's it's really wonderful. I actually just recently, I'm literally <laughs> leaving right now. I was visiting some places in uh, Florida and Georgia and then also up in Virginia where there's these hubs of these sort of eco-urban centers of people who are using their spaces both as community organizing hubs as well as modeling and living, um, you know, doing a lot of barter exchange and reallotting resources and being part of a, a I would say very grassroots, very active network that's happening throughout cities all across the country. I mean, there's there's these these little nodes in every city, uh, and it's it's really sweet to be connected to each other. Um, so anyway, as I'm kind of getting to your question in in a variety of ways, but yeah, if you want to ask anything more specifically in that, I'm open, but. No, actually, you, Whatever that, that segues you. really nicely into the next question that I have, which for you as an incredibly influential community organizer, you've put together events, workshops, and centers for all kinds of regenerative living skills and grassroots efforts. But more specifically, my question is, in a world that's increasingly obsessed with new technology, how do you get people fired up and inspired for concepts and practices that are often viewed as old and outdated, such as gardening, building with mud, or fermentation, just to name a few? Mm. Well, that's, yeah, it's fascinating because it's, um, I guess in my world, there's so much interest in that. And I guess I, from my perspective, it's only growing more and more. Um, I mean, even just, you mentioned fermentation, and that's one, one aspect of what you're naming, but even the natural building movements and the wild, wild foods and local foods and um, grow your own and, DIY and primitive skills and earth skills, all of these things to me, it seems very actively uh, engaged and growing in the world. And, um, and I, you know, I wouldn't say that they're, they have to be separate in the sense, as far as technology goes, um, part of why natural building has grown in, in its popularity is, uh, Oliver Swan out of, uh, England who has, um, Natural Homes, uh, I think naturalhomes.com or .org, natural yeah, Home. .org. can't remember exact URL, but yeah, .org, you know, and he's super savvy with social media and has created incredible uh, engagement through Facebook. And, um, yeah, his Facebook forum so is really, anyway, just wanna, really great platform for that stuff, I agree. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's uh, it's phenomenal what he's done for the natural building movement to um, you know, Paul Keaton with permies.com. And, uh, so I think utilizing, and that's simple technology, social media, I, you know, we can talk about high tech technology, but just simple technology like that, I think can really serve to help share information, help, um, help people who can't take a year off from their, you know, whatever the life they're living and for whatever reason, you know, not able to remove themselves entirely that they can have access to and learn about, be inspired. Um, I think all these online forums, I mean, the whole tiny house movement is an example where I think there's this, it's a huge, huge movement that's like incredibly um, fascinating to come from such a consumer-based culture and have that be as popular as it is. And I think there's there's actually a lot of engagement in for people who are looking to simplify and downsize and deconsumerize and really move more towards voluntary simplicity and 
um, I think that the world of technology, I don't, well, I wouldn't say that it's not necessarily not a good or bad thing. I do, I do see its impact and how heavily it has impacted our modern way of living in a way that it wouldn't, wouldn't be what I would wish for humanity, but it is where we are. And so now how can we, how can we, um, incorporate and bring our brilliance into into what's happening in the world in the most ecologically sound way that we can. And um, there are a lot of phenomenal solutions out there. I mean, I don't know, every direction I look, I, that's what I, you know, if you're in the network, then you can see that it's just happening in so many innovations. Um, you know, and for folks listening, if you want to get a really broad sense of what's happening, you know, you can look at um, Bioneers has a great, you know, kind of net of folks who are engaged with so many aspects of regenerative living. Um, that's just one network, but I mean, just the Buckminster Fuller Institute, um, there's all, there's so much that's happening. And I think a lot of businesses, too, are looking for ways to um reconfigure in a way that, you know, just recognizing the dead end that the old school sort of patriarchal, um, very non-humanized way of of doing business just isn't going to work anymore, you know, and and so there's a lot of interest in new models, and it it is a fascinating, (laughs) it's a fascinating time to be alive. Sure. Um, you know, and even with all of that said, I, I, you know, in a way, it's like a kind of a one way of looking at it. I could also just say that there's, I think, an important uh, thing for all of us to remember to do is to disconnect, you know, and turn our phones off and go outside and be in our bodies and, you know, kind of go on a fast from technology every once in a while and really take the time to lay on the ground and be barefoot and, um, you know, whatever ways that each of us knows how to reconnect, you know, take a day in silence and walk out in the mountains or wherever you are in nature. Um, go be by water. Like these are all, I think, really, really critical steps. Um, yeah. So, you know, yeah, I, 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 realized I didn't, I, agree. I feel those like I really want to, especially in these days when people are constantly yeah, I mean, connected all... through different means. And um, I know I struggle myself uh, from a bit of a, an addiction to, to technology once in a while, even though I do work, you know, in natural building and, and in permaculture and I do get outside all the time. The, those pulls and those new ways of being connected can definitely take a hold of you if you're not uh, constantly aware of how you use them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, you know, it's not just people in the tech world, it's people in the world, period. I think we need to remember all of us, um, you know, you can be a mud builder, and batch builder, and uh, still be, I mean, like I was busy all the time and constantly, you know, so much so that it's easy to feel, um, yeah, it's just like sort of constant stress mode. And yeah, that's, that's, that's the, the deprogramming that I, I needed right to go now. through. For sure. Yeah, and really, you know, it's it's um it's a byproduct of living in the world that we do. And so I know those of us who feel called to be doing the work that we're doing, there's this internal uh repatterning, not just the external but the internal repatterning that I think we need to go through. And there's also this sense that, you know, that we have to work hard because we're working against the machine and we have to like, you know, do everything we can. And, and it's a lot to take that on. And I think the, the self care and the community care, I mean, I have made every mistake in the book along the way regarding all of, all of that. And I've had to learn smart lessons around how to uh, show up in a way that honors the whole human, you know, and there's this, I mean, I, I'm half German. Um, so there's this, sort of part of me that's very focused on making an efficient work site and very systemized and, you know, and it can often miss the just the basic human 
you know, the enjoyment and the pleasure and the pleasure body of uh, just living a good life. So, in a way, that's one of the most radical things you can do is to enjoy and laugh and take the time to celebrate and and be in that um, in that way, whatever we're working on, whether you're in your office building or you're on your natural building site. So that's lovely. I love that observation. That's important too. Yeah, thank you. So let me transition here to a similar question to the last one that I had, which I really want your opinion on because you've worked so much uh, in international settings and in in countries around the world. Now, I myself have worked mostly on projects outside of the U.S. and the Western world, and I found that natural building methods are often looked at as methods that are only suitable for the poor or for those who can't afford cement and industrial materials. How have you worked to change those perceptions in the communities that you've worked in? Mm. Oh, yeah, great. Thank you. Um, well, I would say for sure one of the things that still is very much a part of the work that I do um, and something that, you know, and I'm not, I'm going to share my, you yeah, know, this is me and this doesn't have to be everyone. This isn't everybody's path and and it's fine if this isn't your thing, but um, for me, the the element of beauty and bringing in and creating something that's beautiful, that by itself, without any need to explain or convince, just because it is beautiful, will uh, speak to the soul, you know, and will call people's attention to it and ignite something in whether someone, you know, lives in a mansion and they see it or they live in a, a, you know, a simple mud hut, but just the beauty itself of creating something that, yeah, has, has some elegance. It will, um, you don't really need to do much more, frankly. I mean, I would say like that, that could be the answer, uh, but, um, and emphasizing that and, and not everyone in natural building, that's not everybody's focus, but, you know, and it's, um, same with permaculture, and, and frankly, I do. I will say, and, you know, I it's not a judgment thing, but I do see where um, some projects within this movement have given permaculture and natural building a bad name if they're not finished and they're messy and they're just like, you know, super sloppy and just kind of half-assed. Frankly, um, it leaves a bit of a, a bad name and. And, but if you create a site that is really, hello, puppy, um, if you, <laughs> I'm going to pause, I'm pause, but I let the dog. Yeah, if you, if you create a project where it's obvious that a lot of care has gone into it, you know, whether it be very quaint or very, you know, elegant, whatever word you want to use, I think. Really, that's what speaks to people. And, um, you know, I'm going to name again Oliver Swan. He's very particular about the photos that get shown. And you can't have, you know, tarps hanging on buildings and, you know, this like a trashed out site because yeah, it's a big turn off, you know, and how he's built an audience and a community of folks who are really engaged in natural building. And it's a, you know, very, very popular Facebook site is because the photos are beautiful. And so that's, I would say that's almost a number one. And that, and it, it might sound superficial, but when you think of, for me, it's not superficial. For me, it's that you can put intention and care and love and like very, um, you know, well thought out design and just, you know, like really show up for something and love on it in a way that leaves something that's just, very appealing and so that i mean i think that goes incredibly far away yeah i'm really glad Uh, that you brought that up that's a thing that i've been trying to communicate to a lot of people as well um as big of a fan as i am of you know some of the natural building schools and some of the instructors that i've worked with i often don't show some of their work to people who i'm trying to um, impress upon, you know, the potential of natural building just because of the state in which they leave it in or, um, 
you know, and like you said, it, it isn't just being superficial. It does reflect a certain amount of love and care and intention that you put into your sites. And I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, there's the reality, too, that if you're working on a budget or you um, maybe you got all up in natural building, but you know, you don't know carpentry and that, you know, actually that's true for me. I'm, I'm not a carpenter. I'm a, I'm a mud mama. And but I do to bring in the carpenters and really the the natural buildings that I think have done the most for the, the movement as a whole have been the ones that oftentimes are built with folks who do know how to hang a door well and, you know, put on yeah, the, the rim details, and, sure. and, you know, have a gutter and like all exactly all the details. And so that, you know, if you build a natural building and build it beautifully, it's going to appeal to anyone. They don't, they don't, you know, it's not going to be relegated to um, some, you know, something that's just for people who can't afford a cement house. So that's what I, I'll just go to my experience um, working in Thailand in, I think the first time I started there was 2000, 2001, and then went back subsequently over a number of years. And it, it caught on big time. I mean, literally the hundreds of thousands of people across Thailand and, and neighboring countries heard about natural building. And part of that, you know, so there's beauty, but then there was also just, I was invited to work with network that had media connections and knew how to speak really intelligibly about what we were doing. And we were on the cover of magazines and people caught on and they just got super turned on by it. And we had everything from resorts and hotels, you know, sort of like the tourism industry wanted it. Um, very wealthy folks, uh, an underry that was the center of Bangkok, um, all the way to these radical I say radical, I mean it's the best of terms. Uh, and those were the ones we chose to work with, this radical sort of revolutionary land-based movements, uh, people movements, and that's who we focused on working with. Um, was working with groups like the Assembly of the Poor and so on. But we also really encouraged, and this is something that I want to say very clearly, that um, there is no one way to go about building movement, you know, if someone's drawn to being in service uh, in a village environment, great, and if you are interested in developing an architecture firm that helps build urban-based natural buildings, great, and if you're the one who wants to do the research and write a book, great, you know, like whatever you're, or you want to be the banker that funds it, you know, like whatever um, whatever angle you're coming from, if you want to build a resort and you're going to do it with earth and materials and be a model for how the tourism industry can shift to being truly ecologically green, eco, uh, not just greenwashed, you know, all the power to you. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of and, and worked um, pretty diligently to make sure that our training brought people from all walks of life. And we often had cross-pollination of people who, it, it wasn't just coming from different countries, and we, we almost always had people from 5, 10, 15 countries, but we were also working across economic divides, we were working across um, language divides, and, you know, I'm using the word divide, but it was actually, you know, sort of the opposite. We, uh, and so, so that's you know, I think that's, um, I guess what I'm saying, so we had the, the beauty aspect, we also had access to the media and infusing the media in a, in a smart way, um, and then we worked across many lines uh, in a very diverse pool of people, and yeah, I, you know, certainly my passion was working with people the people-based movements, um, that was always, for me, the greatest honor. I, we, we, I was invited often to do big, uh, sort of these well-funded, fancy projects, and I had little to no interest in those, 
Although, you know, frankly, you know, looking back, I actually think there's a lot of merit there. I know that doing a, a high-end project in a city could have great impact. And it, it was years later I was invited to um, consider doing a project in New York City on the High Line. And it was at a place time when I was starting to transition out. But those kinds of projects, I think, are credible service to the natural building world to do uh, fancy, fancier uh, natural building projects. But, and I would encourage, sometimes you get caught up in this mentality that, you know, it has to only be DIY or DIY, if you don't know, it's that do-it-yourself, sort of like this very, um, you know, you can't. Yeah, I, I just I'm a big fan of working at working it from all angles, you know. Sure. Um, I think there's yeah a lot of merit to that. So. Well, um, I like what you said too about then, bringing you know, people together from lots of walks of life. And now you're the second person that I've interviewed in a short period of time that puts great emphasis on the inclusion and empowerment of women in every aspect of regenerative living. Um, obviously, this is an incredibly important time in history when women are still marginalized and excluded from many aspects of life and work. But could you share a little bit about how you've gotten women involved in the transformation of their communities and some of the ways that the rest of us can work towards more inclusive work and community environments for everyone, particularly in cultures where there are often clearly defined gender roles? Yeah, gosh, interesting because women are the center of community of community. So ask me how to engage them. They're already engaged. They're the center of it. You know, like women are the ones doing so much of this. And fortunately, my experience has always been that women are engaged with natural building from the very moment I was in it. Um, I've I've almost never experienced being on a site where it was. Uh, you know, a lot more men. I mean, it's, it's always had women engaged. Um, and the building industry as a whole is very male-dominated, but the natural building world uh, networks are, are there's a lot, a lot of women involved. Um, and I guess I didn't really have to think think about it in the sense of it was already there, um, but some obvious things are that, if, you know, you're assigning soldier tasks being aware of how those get assigned and, you know, never assuming that a job particularly has to be done, you know, done by a woman or a man specifically, you know, and just really being um, conscious in how that engagement happens and how we never use the word manpower on our sites or man-made. I mean, just, you know, nonsense of that, you know, so uh, just always acknowledging inclusive, using inclusive language, you know, human-made or um, that kind of thing, um, so that it's just built in from the the get go that um, you know we're all part of the creation of whatever we're, we're working on. Um, and then I got excited about seeing women doing all of this, and it was a really beautiful aspect for me of being involved with natural building. And so I ended up certainly. Um, I was excited to work with women especially and did some exclusive programming with women only. And um, that was a really uh, just fantastic way to be on the site because there is, I do, yeah, you know, there is the sort of dominant uh, heteronormative gender roles that, that people can fall into. And so if you're on a site where it's only women, what's going to happen is if, if some task comes along, then one of the women's going to do it, you know, and then all the women are engaged. And, and it's a way to create a very empowering environment. Um, yeah. So, uh, and I, you know, I think simply because I am a woman and I was in the leadership position, that certainly uh, was just part of it. Um, and I often worked, you know, anytime I was invited to work in communities, uh, I, especially internationally, I would always ask who were the others in the area who had skill set in that particular kind of work. And oftentimes men who were already experienced, I would say, well, bring them so that they can, we can up-level, upgrade the leadership that's already here at the community. And so I would be working often with, you know, men who are sometimes 
more than twice my age. And, but I'm a, I'm a bold and confident woman, so I had no problem being being a strong leader and sharing what I knew. And, and I found that the men, I've always found that the men that I work with are very respectful. I mean, I've never been talked over. It, it's hard to talk over, but you know, it's like I've always uh, been able to work with the men that I've been with in ways that have felt very mutually respectful and collaborative and um yeah. So I you know, and I'm 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 very grateful to the natural building world for how exclusive it is and um I don't I at least in the the places I've worked. And uh it's, yeah. I'm so glad to hear that. It's very encouraging. I agree. The the natural building and permaculture worlds have done a really good job about being uh, inclusive for people from all walks of life, genders, everything. Um, and it's something that I'm really glad to see continue. Um, now, before I let you go here, I know you, you've got a busy schedule as well. Can you give me uh, some contact information and uh, a little heads up for any upcoming events or workshops that Ash Village is hosting? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I would love to highlight that Ash Village Sanctuary, again, based in Asheville, North Carolina, that we host, we're not hosting programs on the ground there, but what what I can highlight is that we do host an internship program, a residential internship program, and that's really an opportunity, and it's, it's pretty women-focused because that's what the sanctuary is up to right now. Um, so we have this, it's a six-month uh, engagement of living on site and working with us and being part of really being part of our team that manages and runs the sanctuary and learning all about um, permaculture, well, permaculture gardening, site management, um, and all aspects of what's happening at the sanctuary, which I I guess I'd love to just briefly highlight that we're working a lot with this, um, the healing arts and um, the embodied arts and also working around racial and social justice and definitely the land and food medicine and herbalism. So, you know, it's, it's um, urban land-based project. So if anyone's interested in that, um, ashvillage.org, and I'm going to spell it, it's uh, A-S-H-E, and you've got to add the E, A-S-H-E village.org, so ashvillage.org. Um, named after Asheville, of course, which is where we're based. And uh, on there, you'll see um, information to get to the the, uh, residential internship page. So there's that. And then Permaculture School, and it's the permacultureschool.org, will be both promoting its online programs, um, and that will be in the months ahead. And we're, we're still a bit far out definitely, I would say, at least half a year or more. Um, But we're also promoting a lot of other people's programs uh, because we have a large mailing list and network, social media, et cetera. We're really putting out um, promotion for all kinds of other programs that are happening in different parts of the country and also in other countries. So happy to... um, promote if you're running a program and you want us to get the word out just be in touch um, and you could write to uh, probably best to write to info at ashvillage.org and we can consider helping to spread the word about your program Um, trying to think if there's anything else I want to mention I mean there you know we're promoting some programs right now natural building we're also promoting permaculture eco village immersions um permaculture certification programs. And so if you're interested in any of that, just be in touch with us at info at ashvillage.org. And I think I'm just thinking if there's anything else that I want to mention. Yeah, come follow us on Instagram. Oh, yeah, there you go. If anything else occurs to you, just let me know and I'll put it in the, the show notes for the podcast later on too. Sure. Well, I would love to add the Instagram, just there's at Ash Village and then at Permaculture School. So if you're into that, you can find us there and also, of course, on Facebook. So um, that's all of our contact info, how to, how to be in touch. 
That's wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your insights and your advice, Janelle. I really hope that we can do another interview in the future. I can tell that there's a whole uh, a whole bunch more topics and, and points of interest that we could explore together. But again, thank you for your time, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take Good care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can go to the website at AbundantEdge.com and click under the tab Podcast in the navigation bar to find all of the show notes from this and all of our previous episodes as well. And if you're someone who is interested in starting a regenerative living project with building or landscape design, we also offer a full range of services from consulting, construction, and design. Coming up soon, we also have a workshop opportunity that's likely to start in the first or second week of April. If anybody is looking to get started building with cob or other natural materials, then this will be the perfect project for you to start your learning. We'll be building a natural sauna on a beautiful location here in San Marcos La Laguna on Lake Atitlan, Guatemala. For all the most recent updates on the details and start times of this workshop, you can subscribe to our bi-monthly newsletter at AbundantEdge.com. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I look forward to seeing you on the next one.